episode here of the Ed Tricks podcast. I'm here with Jaime Cordova. He is working at, or he works at the uh, Griffith Observatory here in LA. Um, and we're at the NASA Social right now. We're both looking at the InSight lander. This is crazy, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing that we, you know, get to have the opportunity to actually be here, you know, we're, you know, 10 feet away from, from this, uh, from this model. Yeah. It's, so. am, it's amazing. I, I've been, like, I, I, my line today introducing myself was my inner 12-year-old is just going nuts. Um, how's your Same here. 12-year-old? Same here. My 12-year-old, you know, my 12-year-old was in the car, you know. you seen? Have you seen the video of the little minions running around? Oh, yeah, yeah. And how excited they are? That was me in the car this morning. <laughs> that was me 14 hours in the car yesterday, so I understand exactly where you come from. So, um, just met you this morning, but you work at the Griffith Observatory, which, yes. if people don't know what the Griffith Observatory is, it's one of the most famous L.A. locations. Correct. It's been an observatory for close to, how long is it? Oh. Uh, so the observatory opened in 1935, so about 80, uh, actually this month, 83 years. Amazing. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your job there. What do you do for them? I know you're into social media, which yes. is part of the reason why you're here at the yeah. Insight launch, but yeah. um, what else do you do for them? So uh, I just want to make it very clear that I'm actually not representing the observatory right now. I just want to, just want to point that out for, you know, in case anyone from there hears me. Um, but uh, what I do there is I'm actually a museum guide, so, uh, you know, it's a... It's, probably the awesomest job you can possibly have i i'm a i'm a geneticist at heart but you know deep down i, I actually really enjoy science communication so uh what i do there is uh, i act as a museum guide and uh you know interpreting information for for the guests of the observatory preparing talks uh uh to present to the guests um and really you know and if people have any questions regarding space and astronomy in general that i can answer i'm you know i'm there for them so yeah how did you get into this uh, particular position? What was? How did you get into science? Basically? Let's start with there. So uh, I got into science. Honestly, I I would say kind of like everyone else. You know, you know, growing up as a kid, you know, science always kind of intrigued me. And you know, I know my uh, my teachers always pushed me to, hey, go into science, go into science. Um, at one point, I actually wanted to be a journalist. Um, so uh, it meshes well with that, right? Yes, now. exactly. Yeah. So it, so it meshes well with that. So my inner journalist is kind of coming out. Um, but uh, but in terms of science, just had always had an interest in it. Um, I never really knew what I wanted to do with it uh, up until you know I would say about high school. Wanted to do forensic science, and then one day, I, or one summer, I ended up doing research uh, in bacteria uh, antibiotic uh, resistance, and I ended up falling in love with research, and that's how my love for science ended up taking off. Now you know uh, I still do research going to be going off to grad school pretty soon so that's going to be awesome um but uh in terms of my interest in space is you know growing up as a kid watching the shuttle launches uh and you know it was just so exciting seeing something that could launch into space and now look here we are about to <laughs> and hopefully two days if you know if this uh, if the weather clears out uh watching launch from you know just a few miles away and uh i started out at the at the observatory actually i was fortunate enough uh, i want to say about four years ago that i started initially volunteering uh, we're actually still volunteering there i should say at the california science center we're uh, with the space shuttle endeavor so because of that that's where i kind of got into museums and you know working at museums and then with that experience uh fortunately and you know my knowledge of astronomy uh helped me get into the observatory so. that's, amazing. that's an amazing journey so you let's let's re- go back a little bit yeah here. so it seems like your background is more in genetics yes um, correct so you started out doing projects in that for high school or for college? Uh, this was in college. So this was uh, sophomore year of college. I've been fortunate to actually I've dabbled in different forms of research. You know, 
cancer genetics research, uh, kind of a psychology research a little bit. Uh, right now, my focus is on plant uh, epigenetics research. So I'll basically how uh, um, actually I shouldn't say plant epigenetics, but more uh, leaf senescence and the genes involved with that. Um, so that's what I do right now. Uh, yeah. So tell us a little bit about that project. Like, so with that project, so I'm currently, uh, I'm actually in, what's today, May 3rd and 19 days I'm going to be finishing my bachelor's. So, <laughs> uh, so, uh, so yeah, so I'll be finishing up at, uh, at my current institution and uh, well, what my project is, or I should say what the overall goal of my lab is to study what genes are involved with uh, with leaf senescence. Now, if you're not familiar with leaf senescences, it's basically the process of uh, the nutrients and uh, yeah, the nutrients recycling within a plant from the um, from the plant itself to say, for example, fruits and seeds. Now, you may ask, why do we care about this? <laughs> well, the reason why we're interested in studying this and studying the genes behind this is uh, the goal is to not. My, the lab I'm in in particular, but hopefully the knowledge that we learn can contribute to someone else's uh, research where they'll be able to potentially improve crop yield in third world countries by mod by optimizing senescence. Which is such an important part of any research process is being able to say, I'm one single piece in the puzzle, but exactly. I'm going to develop a mosaic and help other people connect my research to Exactly. Um, so what are some of the connected projects that you're seeing around the world right now about the same subject? So most, I mean, most of the projects, uh, so because my project in particular is more focused on just the lab in general, uh, but there are several projects in, you know, studying the different gene, or, you know, around, you know, uh, I wouldn't necessarily say colleagues, but uh, because we don't work with them directly, but, you know, other people in the field, they're studying other genes and, you know, what those other genes uh, may be involved in that particular, uh, not necessarily in that particular um, characteristic, I should say, uh, but maybe something else that is somewhat related. And then we take that information ourselves and say, hey, you know, maybe we can apply this to our own research. So, so I always think about it like stained glass. So you're starting to see the, the entire image. Exactly. By everybody's own pieces. Exactly. So along with that, what is the, how do you see space? And space, because we're obviously right space. Yeah. NASA organizational thing right now. Uh, how do you see that being part of genetics and the role of genetic Actually, it's interesting that you mentioned that because that's actually one of the, my goal would be, you mentioned what I would like to do in grad school, uh, or I guess my overall goal in research, hopefully become a professor one day, is to study uh, the changes that uh, space travel has on our genetics. Um, not only on our genetics, but uh, say, for example, if there's life on Europa, what does that environment have on if there is bacteria there? What does it have on the genes of, of those Organisms, if there is, you know, something there. Um, but uh, what I see it is, I mean, I would say it's still fairly new. You know, the connection between genetics and space. Uh, you are, you're probably, I'm sure you're familiar with the twin study with, yes, you know, yeah, with Mark Kelly and Scott Kelly. So uh, that one in particular is something that's extremely interesting to me because, you know, they found uh, it was just a month or two ago where they found that hey. Uh, there is some changes in the gene expression, not in the genes, the gene, the gene expression. Got to make that very clear. Uh, yes, There's yeah. Very big difference between those two. Yeah, in the gene expression of uh, of certain genes that uh, that are involved with you know whatever processes 
whatever processes are essential. So I think it's still fairly new, at least the, you know, the connection between genetics and space. But I know that, uh, for example, NASA has several um, several projects that are lined up or that have happened, even though even though they may be small, uh, but all contributing to eventually, you know, the big picture is to get to Mars yeah. and potentially find life elsewhere. And make sure that when we do go to Mars, when we actually start to colonize and things like that, that everything goes well. Exactly. Um, that's really interesting. So my, one of the big questions I want to tie together with all of this is how do you see the role of education not only being in your life, because mm. you're obviously an educated person, love education, you're teaching people at the Griffiths of the Observatory, yeah. you're doing all sorts of things. The role of education in space exploration and space discussions, what is the purpose there? I would say, I would say it's probably, it's, it's going to sound a little cliche, but just to inspire people. I, I would say that that's honestly, I would say that that's the purpose of, of teaching people and, you know, at least in, in for, for my you know my own goals you know if I get to at least make at least one person's day whenever I'm at the observatory or whenever I'm at the science center make one person's day and teach them something that's like oh my god that's so exciting that's so cool right uh, that I think that's the whole reason why we do this I mean you know sure you know you get educated to go on get a job all right cool right but it's also to you know to hey you're gonna do something that you love you want to you want to you want to actually like what you're doing you want to you want to think that something is cool you want just want to love it so that's i hope that answers your question no that's amazing yeah <laughs> I, I, I i you know i teach classes i'm you know, an educator at different levels and things like that and a lot of our listeners are educators at different levels as well um you're coming from a really interesting standpoint you're teaching but you're not a teacher you're you're heading into grad school doing all these interesting yeah. things um, what inspires you on a daily basis to continue sharing your background and education, but also just sharing it out on social media and things like that? I would say, honestly, it's the same thing. Just to inspire people, to like to get people aside, inspiring people, but also to get people interested in it. Because I feel like, especially at least for science. A lot of people are like, "Oh my God, I'm you know I'm I'm dumb. I don't understand science. There's no there you know there's no place for me like that." Well, that's that's not the case. You know, there's a lot there's a lot of things that people who aren't uh, people who aren't scientists, quote unquote, you know, uh, can can get involved with you know with citizen science or you know th- projects like that. But aside from that, just overall, just hey, having an interest, learning about what's going on in science, whether it be in genetics or whether it be in in space or whether it be in you know I don't know something else. Um, so I think that's that's probably what what in, uh, what drives me, or that's probably my, my motivation behind all this. So, so being a, a tour guide at the Griffiths Observatory, you've got yeah. to have some great stories of like kids or like even adults going, "What? Seriously? Yeah. This exists?" Or like this, just that aha moment. So, could you share a few of those with us? I think uh, so. I have two probably main ones. The okay. first one is we're lucky enough to actually have some meteorites. Uh, at the observatory um, and these meteorites they're 4.5 billion years old you know they're uh, 92% iron 7% nickel 1% you know a bunch of other stuff and uh, they actually originated from the Behringer Crater which you may be familiar with out by Arizona well a lot of people they're like oh this is fake right no this can't be real 
And I tell, start telling them about it. I started saying, no, that you know, this is a real deal. This is a meteorite from space. This is the oldest thing that you will ever touch. And that just blows people's minds, whether, you know, whether it's a little kid. It usually, you know, the little kids are, are the ones who are the most surprised. But even, you know, some of the adults are like, what? What do you mean? Like, this is, how am I touching something that's, that's as old as the Earth? So that's, I, I would say that that's one story. The other story is uh, being a biologist, I always tend to lean towards the astrobiology talks. So that's what the majority of my talks focus on. Uh, so whenever I start explaining to people, hey, that there's the possibility that there may be life, you know, even within our own solar system outside of Earth, you know, start talking about Europa, start talking about Enceladus, uh, Titan, maybe, you know, here and there, mostly Europa and Enceladus, though. Uh, and that's just another thing that just blows people's minds because it's, you know, it's kind of one of those things that if you're not, if you're not in the field or if you're not paying attention to that particular thing, uh, you just kind of don't really hear about it. And it's something that, you know, people are interested in it, but it's just, where do you go find that? So, so yeah. So I would say that, that those are the two, two biggest stories or two biggest things that I talk about that, you know, blow people's minds, whether they're little kids or whether they're adults. Which is amazing because they are more mind-blowing things. I mean, something that is that old, putting it in your hand and being able to feel the contours and the curves, that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, hands down. But then also, you're exactly right. I mean, the idea of astrobiology and getting out there and seeing what is not far afield, you know, getting out there in Star Trek, Star Wars, yeah. things like that. <laughs> but looking at your own backyard and saying... There might be something here. Let's yeah. pull up. Let's see what's going on. Like Jim Green just earlier talking about just the undersurface of Mars. Exactly. Like getting into it and seeing is there life in those areas. Yeah. Okay. Big question. Yes. What is the role of social media in science in the 21st century? I would say that it's to get the well. The purpose of basically this of the NASA social is to get it out to you know an audience who may not necessarily be involved with that science in particular. So I would say that that's probably the biggest thing, you know, doing, doing science communication, getting it out to a broader audience who, you know, say, for example, you know, at my university and at all universities, they have seminars. Well, people may not always know about those seminars going on or they may not be able to go to it. So I see a lot of people using science, uh, using social media to spread their science, to share what they do and, you know, what's, what's going on in the field, what's the latest thing, you know, that's... If there's ever something that goes on, you know, at least especially for, for astronomy or space travel, Twitter's the first place I go to. Twitter's the first place I go to because, I, I, you know, I follow so many people, you know, some people who, you know, hey, I got to meet here, right? Yeah, I know, right? Right? So, uh, you know, all these, all these awesome people who are sharing their science on social media. And I think, I think that's, the, that's the biggest, biggest role. I, I agree with you 100%. I mean, being able to follow people, the big names like Neil deGrasse Tyson, but also following uh, scientists and things like that at a lower level. It's so helpful. Where can we find you on social media? You guys can find me on Twitter at uh, Heimekor underscore 94. Okay. So that's J-A-I-M-E-C-O-R underscore 94. Anywhere else on the web that we should know about? Uh, that's really it. I'm trying to eventually, hopefully, start a blog. Nice. Um, I currently, I save the, the domain uh, or the the website name, just in case I ever want to do it. So, in case I ever do it, that's base to space on Tumblr, um, just because I love genetics. So bases and space. So. Well, thank you so much for uh, talking to me, and we're gonna get into the social now. I mean, yeah. you can kind of hear in the background, but we're gonna start talking for yeah. a second. But thank you again. I mean, I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Awesome.